morning, everyone. Uh, let's begin by hearing a story told by Jesus about what he wants to do in your life and mine and with the lives of everyone who's willing to come to him with a heart of faith, anybody who is looking for a new normal. It's from the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 36, if you want to follow along. It comes at the end of a series of three conflicts that Luke records that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day who didn't see things the way Jesus did, who could not connect with God the way Jesus did. So Jesus told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, no wine, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, hey, the old was better. I'm willing to bet good money that you've heard of it, even though you've never read it. And I'm talking about the epic Italian literary masterpiece called Dante's Inferno. It's part of a, a massive poetic uh, trilogy that he put together called The Divine Comedy, in which Dante graphically chronicles a fictional journey through all the different levels of the afterlife called Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso, Hell, Purgatory, and Paradise. The Inferno is the most well-known because in pop culture it's frequently cited in movies or books about serial killers or religious cults or some apocalyptic event. What people actually remember, though, are not the words of Dante, but the grotesque illustrations drawn by the Renaissance artist Botticelli that depict all these different levels and all the gruesome tortures of hell and purgatory. And you should know that none of that is in the Bible. That's just Roman Catholic mythology. The Divine Comedy is known as one of the world's greatest literary works, but most people don't know the story behind the masterpiece. Dante Alighieri wrote this epic poem between the years 1308 and 1320. Everything was in a state of meltdown. This was a defining period of his life. Dante had been on the losing side of a failed revolution and had been banished from his hometown, his beloved city of Florence. If he ever set foot in there again, he'd be killed on the spot. So his life was flooded with uncertainty and doubt and fear. Dante's life was sort of entangled in the quagmire of all the papal politics of Rome and the Roman Catholic Church to the point that he was absolutely disgusted with all the backstabbing and all the intrigue and the way that religion and politics had merged into this one totally corrupt mess. He was drowning in disappointment. All the things that he had counted on in his life had failed him, and he was literally just lost. Now, if you're up to speed on our current sermon series on having faith during times of transition, you'll remember that I said that there's a definite kind of a three-step pattern to transitions. There's the old normal, followed by a period of disruption that could be long or short, but then it's followed by that new normal. Well, Dante was hip-deep into this disruption period, but writing the Divine Comedy actually began his way of moving forward of taking a step towards a new normal. Listen to his state of mind as he wrote the first line of the, of the poem. In the middle of the journey of my mortal life, I came to my senses in a dark forest, for I had lost the straight path. 
With those lines, then, he begins this imaginative literary journey where he explores all the regions of hell and purgatory, but which finally leads him to heaven, to paradise, to God. I came to my senses in a dark forest. You see, he's on a journey to a new beginning, but he's not there yet. What did Winston Churchill once say? If you're going through hell, keep going. Yes, Dante's life was in a crisis, a period of total disruption. He was going through hell, but he didn't stay there. He kept going on his journey. I've heard so many people, and I've said it myself during this year of quarantine, I feel like I'm in the movie Groundhog Day. Have you ever said that? You know, where the main character, Bill Murray, he just keeps repeating that same day over and over again. That's often what people felt this past year. But guess what? You kept going. You kept going through that period of disruption. You kept taking that next step because the only way out is through. The only way out is through. And now you're ready for that new normal, aren't you? You're ready for that new beginning. I came to my senses in a dark forest. Those words describe some kind of, of personal awakening on his part, eyes opening to, to find a new life. The poet is telling his readers he's pre preparing to rearrange his life. He's been lost in this dark forest. It's been scary. It's been cold. It's been lonely. But up ahead, it's like he sees the, the light of a campfire. And he knows there's hope. And he's going through a major transition, the old normal, followed by this desperate situation. But he's getting back onto the right path now, and he's confident that the journey will lead to a new day dawning. By the end of the Divine Comedy, when he finally reaches paradise, I believe Dante did experience something of the love and the grace of God expressed through the saving work of Jesus Christ. I hope he experienced the reality of what the Apostle Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians 5. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old things have gone. Everything is made new. Jesus brings a new normal. Here's one essential truth about the gospel. God is always a God of newness. God is always a God of newness. Jesus has an affinity for fresh starts and new beginnings. As you read his words in the Gospels, you see that Jesus is always talking about a new beginning, a new relationship with God the Father, a new perspective on life, on yourself, and how all that relates to the God who made you and who loves you, who has a purpose for your life. Jesus is an expert guide for that person who's stuck, who's off the path, who has lost their way. In the forest of confusion, that's actually where Jesus does his best work. When people have slogged through the darkness of the forest, that's when Jesus sort of invites them to come and sit by his campfire. When they come to their senses, that's when they're finally ready to sit by the light of his campfire to experience a new life warmed with his love or illumined by his grace. People discover that what Jesus said about himself is preeminently true. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So how does that happen? How do we step into a new life with Jesus? Now that we're coming out of our, our, our COVID uh, hibernation, you know, what is this new life that Jesus wants us to experience in the months ahead? Now, I've never had much experience with either making wine or using wineskins, but Jesus' words from Luke 5 have always intrigued me. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, or the new wine bursts the old skins, ruining the skins and spilling the wine, 
No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. What did Jesus mean about all this? Well, we know that Jesus was this master at using simple, common things to express deeper spiritual truth. Wineskins were just part of the everyday life in first century Palestine. Wineskins were simply the common portable container for wine, which was the normal drink of the day, kind of a diluted wine. But that, back then, they didn't have bottles, they didn't have cans or whatever. They could only contain wine in wooden vats or kegs or maybe earthen jars, which were not very portable. Wineskins were made from animal hide, from mainly sheep and goat skin. They were easy to carry, you know, sew it upright and it's waterproof, leak-proof. It's just you sling it over your shoulder and you're ready to go. But the problem is, if you carry the wine around for a really long time, it goes bad. It just turns to vinegar. And then the wine, as it ages, the wineskin, as it ages, it loses its stretch. It becomes brittle and stiff. So after a while, you can't refill an old wineskin with new wine. Because the new wine is still in the process of fermentation. So it continues to create gas and expand after it's been poured into the wineskin. A new wineskin is still pliable. It's going to stretch, so problem solved. An old wineskin is not going to stretch. So the pressure from the fermenting new wine will eventually burst the wineskin and everything will spill out onto your toga, and that's really hard to get it out. Over the centuries, the Bible commentators have looked at the meaning of this parable in this way. The wine is always the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. It's what God is up to, what God in His grace and His love wants to bring about in your life. The Spirit is poured out, poured out into two things. First, the individual, the Holy Spirit is poured out into the individual. And then second, the Spirit is poured out into the church. So individual people, that's one. And then secondly, the institutions and the practices, they're the methods of the church. People and the way that we do church, those are both wineskins. Well, let's talk about new wine and wineskins as it relates to individual people. In Luke 5, Jesus is being hounded by his critics. The Pharisees, the scribes, all the other people, all his critics were watching, analyzing his every word, his every action, looking for some slip-up, some way that they could then accuse him of misconduct or heresy, any reason that they could shut him down. They were the original cancel culture, I think. They often tried to trip him up with trick questions, think that they could you know, paint him into a corner, get him to say something that he didn't mean. And as we know, Jesus was so skillful at turning the questions back on his accusers and exposing their shallowness and their hypocrisy. In this case, his critics are watching Jesus and his disciples, and they ask, well, John's disciples, meaning John the Baptist, John's disciples, they often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. They thought Jesus and his disciples were too happy. You know, they thought they should be morose and serious and do more public acts of piety, kind of impress people with all their religious rituals. And Jesus first answers by using an illustration from the wedding. He says, you cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is still with them, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they can fast in those days. He was talking about himself as the bridegroom, and while he was on earth, it was entirely appropriate for his disciples to feast and to celebrate being with him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to speak of this new cloth and the new wine. Jesus knew where the real problem was. He knew what was behind the questions raised by the scribes and the Pharisees. 
They were upset because Jesus was not obeying their traditions. They were really asking the same question other critics asked in Matthew 15 too. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They were stuck in their old normal. Their old normal way of looking at God, their old normal way of life, their old normal way of approaching God. And Jesus was disrupting everything. They thought they had a lock on the people, but all these enormous crowds that were following Jesus kind of sent them into a tailspin. Their old way of controlling how people related to God, it was sort of disappearing right before their eyes. So they're in panic mode because they can't let go of the past, and yet they can't embrace Jesus and this God of new beginnings. So Jesus says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old. Otherwise, the new will be torn, and the old is not going to match up. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. doesn't make sense because the new wine's just going to burst the skins. The last statement is key. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Good old-fashioned legalistic Judaism could not contain the new wine of Christ's grace. The new wine of Jesus required a change in the hard, crusty hearts of the Pharisees and the others, and this should not have been a surprise to them. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They knew it taught of this newness. They'd read all the passages about a new song, a new heart, a new spirit, a new name, a new covenant, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. It's all in there. Like uh, King David wrote in Psalm 40, he put a new song in my mouth. They understood God's newness only as a concept, not as a personal reality. They could conceive of the idea that God was promising a new way of life, but they could not embrace it for themselves. They could read verses like Isaiah 43, 19. I am about to do a new thing, says the Lord. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? They could read that, but they could not draw the line that would connect those verses with the ministry of Jesus or their own hearts. The newness of Jesus, it just went right over their heads. Even though this new normal, it wasn't actually new at all. It was just the completion of all the things that they had believed. The gospel was the completion of all the things that they were trying to protect through setting up all their legalistic laws. So their hearts were closed to what God was doing in Jesus. They were brittle. Their hearts could not contain the new wine of God's Spirit. Jesus was saying to them, and I believe he's saying to us the same thing, don't be an old wineskin. Don't be an old wineskin. Now that has nothing to do with your age, it has everything to do with your attitude. Not age, but attitude. If the COVID year has done anything, it has given us all the opportunity to reevaluate where am I in life and where do I want to go from here. And as we emerge from this quarantine restrictions, we have the opportunity to look at reshaping our lives in a new way. It gives us the opportunity to ask the Lord, what new things do you want to bring into my life? It gives us the opportunity to be open to, to God doing something new in and through you. I can't tell you personally what that might mean for you. Each of us has to kind of go on our own journey of discovery but each of us has to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you. But this is the time to be open to that new thing. To position yourself mentally, spiritually. To be a new wineskin. To have a mindset that is open to what the Spirit is doing. 
ready to receive all that God has in store for you. This new life will have many things in common with our lives pre-2020, but it will also give us the opportunity to pray and ask God, Jesus, what do you want my new normal to be? What kind of life should I have in the months and years ahead? We have the opportunity to reshape life, to say, I'm in the middle of a journey of my mortal life, and I come to my senses in a dark forest where I had been lost, I had lost the straight path. Here are some ways that I've heard people reevaluate their lives and what they want their new normal to be. Maybe you've said some of these things. There are lifestyle changes. People have told me they don't want to go back to that old commute. Spending an hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours a day commuting back and forth to an office in the city. They are not excited about going back to that lifestyle. It stole too much of their lives. And they kind of came to their senses. The COVID year gave them a chance to reevaluate their priorities and working from home, having more time with family, having a different pace of life, they, they ended up kind of liking that. The COVID year turned out to be a blessing in that regard. The rat race has lost its appeal. They don't need that or even want that corner office anymore. They want a phone in the, phone in the basement and a computer link up, you know? They don't need that raise if it means sacrificing family and personal life. The new normal is going to incorporate a whole new way of looking at work and work-life balance. And many people are looking forward to that. There are also changes in how people see their faith. Many folks have found a new season of closeness with God during the pandemic year. As many things were stripped away, they found a greater importance in prayer a new rhythm of prayer and Bible study, and they don't want to lose that intimacy with God by going back to their old frantic habits. Many folks experienced that dark forest and maybe even bottomed out this past year, and they discovered the truth of that old saying, you never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. And they've latched on to that truth, and they don't want to lose that. So the pandemic turned out to, to bring a blessing to them because it brought them into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And there are changes in the church in the way that we do discipleship. Last March, all of our small groups had to make a big transition to meeting online. And that was a brand new thing for a lot of people. But in our year later, many people have found greater connection through online Bible studies and prayer groups and other groups and it's created new opportunities for discipleship that we never thought of before. People who before the pandemic, you know, they couldn't gather in person or in groups on a weeknight or on a weekend because they had childcare issues or health problems or other kind of issues. They just couldn't get together physically with other people. Adding online gatherings as an option was a lifesaver for them. Some people were separated by geography and distance. They couldn't gather physically with others. For them, online discipleship was a new wineskin that really fed their souls. So even as we open up and as we st do start to have more in-person small group gatherings, there will be people who will want to continue the online options because it actually works better for them than an in-person group. Online discipleship. That's going to be an important new wineskin for the church. A new reality that we have to see as a great blessing. Something that should continue as an ongoing tool for future discipleship. So don't be an old wineskin. 
when it comes to your personal life and to your relationship with Christ. Remember, it's not age, it's attitude. Be open to a new work of God in your heart. Be open to how God wants to pour this new wine of the Holy Spirit into your heart. And as a church, we're about to enter a new season. Next week is so important as our pastor nominating committee will be presenting the person that they believe God has anointed to become this church's next senior pastor. And the congregation is going to gather in person, online, in multiple venues to vote on that decision. I mean, that in and of itself, the voting is a new wineskin because we've never done a congregational meeting like that in multiple venues, online, in person, all over the place. But the decision itself is important because God is going to do new things through this congregation in the years ahead. All the research I've seen about churches as we come out of the pandemic year suggests that every church is going to have to reinvent itself. Every church in some way is going to have to just start over. Like a, a church that's a new church plant or a new church development. Every church is going to have to reinvent itself. Every church is going to have to re-engage with its people and with its community and with its mission. So the timing is really perfect for a new senior pastor to come on board and to take the wheel. And as he leads this congregation into that next season of ministry, don't be surprised if things are different. Some of the things you may have liked about our church, they won't be there anymore. And we can't go back to what used to be. We will have to move forward. And so there will be changes. Some programs that maybe you loved will just fall away. Some new programs and other ministries will emerge. The important thing is don't be an old wineskin. Be open to the change. Get excited about what God is doing. Be open to how the Holy Spirit might pour new wine into your life personally and into your church. Don't be an old wineskin. Not your age, but your attitude. Let's be prepared to embrace the new. We're not completely out of the woods yet, but we are on the right path. And the Spirit will guide us into God's new normal for you personally and for our church. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we begin to see the light, as we begin to come out of this quarantine hibernation that we've been in, Lord, as we begin to embrace some of the positive things that have happened this past year and put the negative things behind us. Lord, help us to have the energy, the imagination, the joy, the creativity to step into that new normal, Lord, and to embrace it. And to really trust you, Lord, that the season coming is a good one. It'll be good for us personally, and it'll be good for us as a congregation. Because we know you're a good God, and we trust you. In your name we pray, amen.